So the Titans won their third straight in week five, which is the good news. They did it in their favorite way possible, which is just barely. (laughs) Welcome to the Hot Read podcast for Monday, October the 10th. I am your host, Easton Fries, director of published content at broadwaysportsmedia.com, as well as a senior Titans contributor. We are also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Victory Monday to all the Titans fans that listen to the show. Producer JT, who's usually with us, will be with us for the news segment of the show coming up in a little bit. But first, we've got to talk about the Titans getting their third straight win and third win of the season against the Commanders on Sunday today, recording this Sunday night. Hope you all had a great weekend, by the way. Hope you enjoyed pretty good weather here in Nashville. If you're a local here in town, enjoying the fall. I definitely am. I've grown sick and tired of the summer at this point, and I am ready for the fall air to be on my face each and every time I walk out of my front door. Whenever it's a little bit on the warm side, it it bothers me. By the time it's October, I want it to be fall and it to be cool outside. And that's what we got this weekend. So that was great. Uh, what was cool for Titans fans, what a segue, I'm a professional, uh, was the Titans getting their third win. And every Sunday, or whenever the Titans play, that is, I do our winners and losers article at broadwaysportsmedia.com. And on today's edition, I had a number of things that I wanted to talk about for uh, today's show. We usually on Mondays go through the winners and losers anyways, because like I've said before, if you read the winners and losers articles on broadwaysportsmedia.com in the past, they were done by somebody else, um, a, a couple of different people used to do them. I now do them, and it's very different than it used to be. There's a reason it doesn't come out until much later after the game has happened because I like to really put all of my thoughts about the game in this format. And so naturally, my thoughts on the podcast reflect that of those in the article. Um, and so I usually do six winners and losers total, three of each. I'm going to talk about three to begin today. Then we're going to cut to our uh, news segment, Titans News, with producer JT. And then the last three, and then we'll get out of here. A little bit of an abbreviated day just because I'm flying solo for part of this. But yeah, the winners and losers from this game. So the Titans won their third straight in week five, which is the good news. They did it in their favorite way possible, which is just barely. (laughs) The game came down to the final seconds, and it was ultimately decided by a David Long Jr. interception on the one-yard line. Washington had entered Sunday's matchup with at least one turnover in each game this season. And so Carson Wentz was due for one at that point, and it came when the Titans needed it most. There were a lot of winners and losers in this game, of course. Before I talk about the six that I wrote about in the article, I want to talk about the uh, the honorable mentions that didn't quite make the article. I've got it pulled up right here. Uh, one winner that didn't make the cut was Ryan Tannehill wrist passes. I don't know if you all noticed that pass. I forget when in the game it was. It's late and the details are foggy when he was being tackled and sacked from behind and literally threw slash flipped slash flicked the ball with just his wrist to, I believe, Dontrell Hilliard and it ended up picking a first down. Uh, That was an impressive play. And it was funny to me on the replay, the way that he just used his wrist muscles to throw that ball. A loser was using offensive line as my loser for all three loser spots in this week's article. I showed restraint and ended up only writing about it once, but I wanted to just make it offensive line all the way down. A winner that didn't make the cut was Tier Tart's coverage skills. I don't know if you all saw, I think it was the second to last play of the game where he nearly came up with another interception. 
he had kind of, I don't know if it was schemed this way by design or what, but he ended up falling back into coverage and did a good job, played the ball well and forced an incompletion. And then the final loser that didn't make the cut was our buddy Buck Rising, friend of the show. Buck Rising's 200 by Super Bowl. Not great. If you don't know the details on that, Buck Rising trying to get his weight down under 200 by the Super Bowl. Very famously, it's turned into a meme at this point. And uh, unfortunately, he was brought a tub of cookies to the press box in Washington today that was labeled 200 by Super Bowl for Buck Rising. And uh, he was dared by somebody in the press box to eat one cookie for every point the Titans scored in the second half, because, of course, they can't score in the second half. And so he accepted the challenge and then they scored a touchdown. So he had to eat. I don't know if he ate seven or not. I, I didn't follow the thread that far, but he was supposed to eat seven. So not great. That's going to set us back. Um, but we still got a long time before the Super Bowl. So Buck, friend of the show, I'm rooting for you. Best of luck. Um, so the first real winner that made the cut today was surviving and advancing. So in the article, I did a bit of editorializing to begin. And that's what I'm doing on this show because this is my monologue and this is me editorializing verbally. So the Titans went to Washington. I think they accomplished their two primary objectives, right? Get a non-conference win on the road and then get your banged up players two weeks of rest, essentially for the price of one. So they secured the victory. They got their banged up players rest. The question that we're left with is this. What can we take away from this performance? I'd argue it's not very much. Now, whether it was a wise decision or not, this coaching staff, I think, was playing the long game against the commanders. While the first month of the season is now behind us, I think Vrabel and staff were staring down the barrel of this second quarter of their season, these next four games, next four weeks rather, of at Washington, which was today's game, then a bye next week, hosting Indianapolis, massive second game of the series, AFC South rival, and then Sunday Night Football at Kansas City. Of course, a massive game against a big AFC competitor. Having endured so far this year much of the same in the injury department as compared to last year, we've talked about this on the show, how through four games at least, they were nearly on the exact same pace as they were last year during their record-breaking injury year where they used more players throughout the season than any other NFL team in history had. There were one player off of that same pace through four games. Now, I don't know what that pace is now. I'll have to go check. I'm I'm curious now that I'm saying it out loud, but it's not good. It's been a lot of the same, and we've had questions regarding the injury situation, but because that's been the case so far, I think they saw an opportunity here. An NFC matchup on the road for this team is the least valuable game that they could win on the schedule. Now, of course, you only get 17 games. They're all incredibly valuable, but they're not all made the same. Of course, divisional games matter more than anything else. Conference games matter more than non-conference games. Home games, just, you know, not on the books, but in terms of fan base morale and, you know, team ability to perform tends to matter more home games do than away games. That being said, an away non-conference game, least valuable game that they could have. 
Whereas they saw after their buy hosting Indianapolis, of course, massive. That's going to give them an opportunity to essentially bury the Colts in the division at Kansas City in primetime on Sunday night against a team that if this team has playoff hopes beyond just getting in, which I think they clearly do, whether it's fair or not, getting a win against a Kansas City should mean a great deal if they get to the end of the season, win the division, and then it's a matter of seeding with a team like Kansas City who's also likely to win their division. So on the front end, an NFC away game. On the back end, two very important AFC games. This was their opportunity to get their most banged up players two weeks of rest for the price of one. So I think that's what they did. You saw all of the starters that were banged up this week that were questionable on the injury report all week long. Bud Dupree, Nate Davis, Zach Cunningham, Amani Hooker, Ola Daney, they were all deemed out for this game. Now, do I know that some of them might have been able to come back and push through and play in week five? No. I don't, but perhaps none of them could have gone, you know, under any circumstances that that could have been the case. Maybe they really just could not have gone. I find that highly unlikely that that was the case for all of those guys. I think this week's goal was simply just to survive in advance. And that's exactly what they did. Now, on a slightly tangential note, before I move on to our first loser of the day, I thought what Todd Downing did on the play calling front in this game was really solid. He actually called some downfield shots for Ryan Tannehill in the offense, the passing game, one of which was to Nick Westbrook-Akine in the first half. Nick had essentially no separation, so it was overthrown. There wasn't a, a hole there, wasn't a pocket for him, Ryan Tannehill to throw into. I criticized Westbrook at the time. But then on the second attempt, which did connect, it was the second and bigger of the two, he had plenty of separation, and it was a great, I think, 60-plus yard bomb through the air. Big play for the Titans. And Tennessee has been one of the worst teams stretching the field vertically this season. They've been struggling in that department for years now. And that's an element of their game that I think they need to try more often. So I was encouraged to see them trying that. I think Downing also did a really good job of making chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. Just with this horrible, abysmal offensive line situation that they had, whether it was Tannehill Boots or getting the screen game going in creative ways. He was giving the offense a shot, given unpreferable circumstances. And the final part of this winner category that I need, and I hope you're sitting down for this. I mentioned this already, but this was a big deal. Okay, big baby steps, but big baby steps. The Titans did score points in the second half. Seven of them. Now, is that good? No. No, it is not. Is it progress? Yes, I think that it is. Now, the first loser of the week is along the same lines being a good football team. <laughs> this is where the nuance gets tricky, right? Despite all of the reasons to not put too much stock into this performance that I just laid out to you, it, it can't be denied how bad Tennessee looked for much of this game. The Titans yards per play was a pathetic 3.9, 3.9 yards per play in this game. Now, for reference, the league average in 2022 is 5.5 yards per play. Carson Wentz and the Washington offense had 6.6 yards per play in this game. So the Titans had a net yards per play of nearly negative three when you compare the commanders and Titans yards per play in this game. 
having a net yards per play of negative three in a win is almost unheard of. A negative net yards per play is certainly not a long-term winning strategy. Another thing that isn't a very great winning strategy is poor penalty discipline. Tennessee has had issues with this for most of the year, and they've gone kind of by the wayside just because they've had bigger fish to fry in terms of issues to discuss. But it's among their chief drive killers. A lot of the time in the second half for this team in particular, I can think of a number of examples off the top of my head where this team had second half drives that actually weren't stalling at first, but were stalled out by just dumb, poorly disciplined plays. Another recurring issue with this team that is surprising, I think, given their history, is just their boneheaded situational awareness at times. Now, albeit it's only once or twice a game, it, but it continues to crop up and, and hurt them. The one in this game that stuck out to, I think, everybody is when Ryan Tannehill made the b- bizarre decision not to take a timeout near the goal line on Sunday. That's just the latest such example. There have been a number of these throughout the year. Was it a mistake on Tannehill's part today when he walked away from the line of scrimmage, seemingly ready to take a timeout instead of a delay of game near the goal line and then didn't and took the delay of game penalty? Now, they ended up getting in anyways, I believe. It, it didn't end up costing them but it certainly could have. Those were five yards they just gave away. Whether it was a mistake or intentional and just misguided, whatever the case is, it was nearly a really costly error that he made. So ultimately, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? We asked this question a good bit last season as well. Is this team bad? Or are injuries forcing them to play too many bad players? We can't answer that for certain until they get those star contributors back and get them healthy. Hopefully, week seven, following the bye, will be their opportunity to do just that when they host Indianapolis and they get all of these guys like Dupree, Adaney, Davis, Hooker, Cunningham. Once they get these guys back and healthy and in the rotation, which they're hoping to do, that seems to be the plan. You get guys like maybe Racing McMath comes, remember him? He comes back off of IR eventually. They can get him in the mix and add to that vertical threat potential. Get a guy like Elijah Molden, who they've needed desperately on the defensive side of the ball. We'll talk about that side of the ball here in a minute. Those will be big additions. The next winner from this week's game was Derrick Henry. Derrick, what to say about Derrick Henry? He's, He's still so clearly the best player on this Tennessee offense. Still, still, he is clearly... By a country mile at the moment, the best skill player on this Titans offense. Now, that should come, I think, as a bittersweet note for most Titans fans, because on one hand, the identity of your team, who was actually just feared washed and dead by many not too long ago, is very much alive. But on the other hand, no other skill player currently healthy on this roster looks anywhere near as talent talented as he is. None of them look close. Henry had a second straight vintage week, gaining 102 yards on 28 attempts in the run game and 30 yards on two receptions in the passing game. Not only was his day a big success according to the stat line, but it passed the eye test with flying colors as well. Henry had nearly all of his elite traits back and on display against the commanders. He was decisive. He had some sneaky shiftiness today, I thought. 
And he had the ability to break nearly every initial tackle that came his way, which is the biggest trademark thing that I saw today that we hadn't seen a ton of this year so far. His downhill running style was seemingly back to full force, in my opinion. The only elite trait that he's had in the past that we've not yet seen from him, and he's not really had the opportunity to do this, is that breakaway speed when he gets ahead of steam and gets through the first and second level clean. He was known for his ability to run away from anybody in the league. Now, we don't know if he can still do that or not. Maybe he can't. Maybe he's lost a step or a step and a half in that department. We've not seen him try. I'm very curious because you know it'll happen eventually. I'm very curious to see him get that breakaway and see what he looks like when he's running away from these incredibly fast DBs and, and defensive players that will try to hawk him down. But I think today's performance just confirmed the notion that his age and his past injuries haven't yet caught up with him. It's only a matter of time. Of course, father time is undefeated, but I think right now Henry's back. All right. We've got three more winners and losers for you before we get out of here. But first let's get to producer JT with the news. All right. Producer JT has joined us for the news segment, and he is here delivering on his promise to wear a banana suit on the uh, show because this this dates back to, was it last weekend when the Mets and the Braves were playing um, in their final regular season series of the year? And he uh, tweeted me on a whim, I suppose, that if the Mets lost game two, he would wear a banana suit on the first episode, um, video episode of the Hot Read podcast. He thought that they would win for sure because of their starting pitching, and they lost. And so here he is, uh, as promised, in a banana suit, which I guess your green screen thinks is a little bit too close to green because you are. It does. Are. It does. It, it can't make up its mind. No, but it thinks yes. you're sort of invisible, but not quite. Yep. Also all right. So JT, very red, but okay. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. <laughs> the colors are all wrong because of the banana. Um, but that's, that's enough about the banana suit. Let's get into the news of the week. Getting into the news with your favorite producer, Banana Newsboy, here. Let's talk about our best bet gauntlet from the past week. Yes. Both of us had an interesting week, I would say. Some winners for sure, some losers. I went 2-2-1, two, two and one, getting my first push thanks to the Chargers, of course. Possible frauds, we'll see. But that puts me 10-14-1 on the season. Easton logging another 2-3 and three week. Another. No, hang on. This is my first losing week of the year. I made it. it really? I, I made it a full month without having a losing week. Yeah. All right. Well, then you're two and three and that gap just inches ever so closer. With it is. You, you are now catching going up 13, 10 and two slowly but surely making my way back from that very poor two week start. But let's talk yeah. about the Titans and Commanders game today. Of course, the Titans defeating the Commanders 21 to 17. And the play that you want to look to in this game is Commander Carson throwing an interception with his final breath on the battlefield. That's right. JT, you've been the Commander Carson hater on the pod since I have. you started with us back in a month ago or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you've been picking against him in the best bet gauntlet a good bit. You've been just generally down on him as a player, which is understandable. What did you what was your reaction to watching the final seconds of that game? Was it surprising to you at all to see Commander Carson go full Commander Carson? I think it's very cathartic, I would say, with what I've been <laughs> what what the what I've been going with for these past couple weeks here. However, I think 
It's more to say this is another week for the Titans where it comes down to the final seconds on a red zone drive to win the right. game. Yep. I think that's more important than Commander Carson coming up short is that the Titans need to figure out what they can do on the defensive side of the ball and offensive side of the ball in the fourth quarter. No, absolutely that's the case. And it's at least worth pointing out that the Commanders through the first month of the season had at least one turnover in each and every game that they'd played. And there were a number of people talking about it on Twitter at the time in the third, early fourth quarter. Like, hey, the Commanders have turned the ball over at least once every single game. Like, they're probably due for one here. And it came at really just the worst possible time for the Commanders and the, the last possible second for the Titans. But it ended up being the difference in the game. Let's talk about something also positive that came out of today's game. The offense comes out swinging and continues to dominate in that first quarter. They've outscored their opponents through five weeks here, 42 to 13 in the first quarter. And if you want to look for kind of a hidden diamond in the rough on this offense, let's talk about Dontrell Hilliard, who has proven his worth on this roster through five weeks. Agreed entirely. We've been talking about this a little bit here and there on the show. I think Dontrell Hilliard is a massive key to this offense. Key is a strong word. He's a... He's a different cog in the machine than most other guys on this offense. It's a team that offensively lacks team speed in a significant way. When they're missing Racing McMath, who's been on IR this whole year, and now they're out trailing Burks for at least four weeks, four games rather, five weeks total with the bye, they really don't have a lot in terms of shiftiness and speed from their offensive skill players. Hilliard is the exception in terms of guys that you actually want on the field. That is Hilliard is a guy who has really developed, I think, as a pass catcher, even from what he was last year. He's a capable blocker when they get him the ball in space. I mean, he has three receiving touchdowns on the year for the team, which is the most. I believe it's I think his three receiving touchdowns on the year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, equal all of the other receiving touchdowns from other Titans combined on the year. So he's been the guy that is especially in the red zone gotten them seven points on the board which is key of course i really love what he's doing in terms of outscoring opponents in the first quarter the titans actually came out of the gates not red hot today which was a first this was the first opening drive of the season for them that they didn't score a touchdown on they ended up going three and out got a big allowed a big sack on the first play of the game and, and put them behind the chains but the second drive they ended up getting a touchdown and generally in the first half while not nearly as dominant as they had been through the first month, they were, I think, notably better than they were in the second half. Talking about something that wasn't as good for the Titans today, it's their defensive struggles specifically in the secondary. Caleb Farley, of note, continues to struggle, and cornerback play is basically just kind of a weak spot on this team. If you look at the stats today, they let kind of a no-name in Daimi Brown break away for two big plays today in two Massive. touchdowns. Yeah. It's just something that they need to work on. No, absolutely. This and this has been the theme of the show so far. It's going to continue to be the theme in the show. Um, this team, it's hard to evaluate based on this week in my eyes just because of the personnel that they were working with. Now, there were starters out there for sure. This wasn't a preseason game, but they were missing a number of key pieces and they've been missing a number of key pieces for the better part of this season. And the secondary is, I think, the most red hot area in that regard. The depth really, really shallow. 
And the top end talent just is struggling to stay healthy. They've been missing Molden badly for the entire year, in my opinion. Um, they, they they need Christian Fulton to remain healthy, and he's really struggling to. This group is really the, the potential at the top end for this group is really high. And it, I don't think that's changed from what we expected from them coming into the year. But when things aren't exactly right for them in terms of who they have healthy and available and how all of these pieces are playing, because even good players go through rough stretches of the season, things get ugly and they get ugly fast. Let's talk about the AFC South as a whole here, including the Titans taking sole possession of first place today. The Titans, who are three and two, have a bye next week in second behind them with a couple of suspect wins are the two two and one indianapolis colts yeah hosting the jacksonville jaguars the jaguars are right behind them at two and three going to indy and the texans who finally got a win today are one that? three and one at vegas how about the texans today man knocking off the jaguars it was a gritty they, game it was a I've gritty got, defensive it was game. a gritty not a lot ugly of afc south game no not a lot of offense at all I don't believe there was a touchdown until I believe it was all field goals until the fourth quarter mm-hmm. when the Texans finally got got in the end zone with Damian Pierce, who's my boy, drafted him high in fantasy. You don't care about my fantasy team. Um, the the Texans ended up getting there. You knew they were going to win eventually. This is a competent team with a really low ceiling is how I've described the Texans all year long. A really, really low ceiling, but they're not incompetent. And that makes them pesky. They're going to remain pesky. I don't think they will be an easy out for anybody in the division. Obviously, I'm looking forward to all of the fantastic Jaguars discourse in the general media this week as we talk about the definitely contending, definitely class of the AFC South Jaguars. We've been very measured and nuanced on this show about the Jaguars so far. They're certainly not your, I would say your dad's Jaguars, but your Jaguars up until this year, they they are not, they're not nearly as bad as they've been, but are they a contending team yet no they are a year away from being a really good contending team i really like what they're doing down there and i think trevor is going to develop into a really good quarterback but they they're doing all of this actual growth that they meant to do last year but had uh, astonishingly bad coaching and uh just infrastructure as a team that no culture whatsoever doug peterson has finally brought that to the team and he's doing those things but you can't do it overnight and so this team is, um, again, I, I would not be shocked at all for them to make the playoffs, but as a wild card team, I don't think they're the class of this division. I don't think they're seriously con- contending in the AFC this season. I think that next season they'll have that opportunity. And uh, yeah, the Colts at second with two wins. Is there, in all of sports, can you think of a team with two more fraudulent wins than the Colts have so far? Their win over the Broncos, which we touched on in our last episode on Friday, was an abomination. Um, and then who else? Oh, the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs. When the Chiefs thoroughly beat themselves, both wins for the Colts have been size of relief for them, as opposed to um, vic- like victory lap worthy wins, because they've both been gifted um, to them and not won by the Colts. They're a bad team right now, a very bad team. I'm really curious to see. If their matchup this week, uh, week six against the Jaguars at home this time looks any different than it did in Jacksonville in week two, because holy cow, the Jaguars put the beat down on them in Jacksonville. And I think the Colts may have a little bit more together by now, but you know, will they make the Jaguars look great again? Would not shock me. All right, JT, is that it for the news today? That is it. All right. That is JT with the news. 
All right, we've got two more losers and one more winner for you before we get out of here. And these three are probably my three favorite that I'm really I have a lot of thoughts on these ones. But before we get into them, if you have not subscribed to the show, I don't know why you're listening without being subscribed. That's really foolish. You should subscribe and you'll get these shows automatically in your feed. You'll get notifications for them and everything. It's great. Hey, if you're subscribed and you listen on Apple Podcasts, which I, which I know many of you do, please leave us a review, five-star review with a, a, a written review of whatever you want it to say. Just a five-star rating and a written review. You can write literally anything. Feedback is a gift. I deeply appreciate any feedback you guys have for this show. I want to make it as enjoyable as, as I, it can be for you. So if there's something that you just hate that we do, let us know, please. We don't want to keep doing stuff that you hate because then you won't listen. Now, I think the vast majority of you just listen to me say this and you're like, yeah, okay, get, get on to the rest of the show, please. I'm, I'm not li- listening to hear you ask for my ratings and reviews. Please, I'm I'm on my knees at begging, guys, this one time. Just leave a rate and, rate and review. It helps us so much. It'll take you two seconds. We're going to shout out anybody that rates and reviews on the show. We'll shout you out and say whatever you want us to say. Just leave us that rating and review. It's massively helpful to us. One more thing you got to sell. If you've got a small business or a big business for that matter here in Nashville or the middle Tennessee area, we are open for advertising opportunities on this show, as well as the Broadway sports media podcast network, as well as Broadway sports um, You can come to me or the Broadway, the main Broadway social media accounts with any opportunities that you uh, think that would be a good match for this show or any of our other shows and your business. We'd love to advertise and we can, we can talk about what those things might look like. We've already got a couple of those things in the pipeline right now. So shout out to those people. If you're listening, we're excited to start to work with you, but there's money to be made here and we're excited to uh, be able to offer that opportunity now. All right. On to our winners and losers. The second loser from this week was the offensive line. Now this should be the first, second and third loser in my opinion, but we're only going to talk about them once. Tennessee's offensive line isn't just bad. It's headed in the wrong direction. Now, through their first three games, the Titans had allowed only four sacks. In their last two games, week four and five, Ryan Tannehill has gone down eight times. Things seemed to reach a new low in Washington, where Tennessee's poorest unit in the trenches allowed five total sacks of the quarterback. Now, in fairness to them, not all of those were their, their fault entirely, Ryan Tannehill did them no favors on a couple of those with how long he was holding onto the ball. And at least one of them was a true coverage sack, I thought. But the point stands. This line was dreadful. Nicholas petit Freire is getting beat by defensive ends, jumping inside on zone runs at least once a week at this point. If you watch the Mike Herndon show, which I'm an executive producer of, we talk about this the last couple of weeks in a row. We've pointed this out on tape in our tape film room studies, um, which are on YouTube. You can go check those out right now. He's got an issue with this and the coaches need to address it over this bye week I think that they will. His up and down rookie season continues apace at this point. And, and that's an unavoidable element of his development. When he has to face great edge rushers, he struggled just as often as he succeeded. Now, what a rookie like NPF needs is a trusted veteran like Nate Davis beside him to help out when things get a little hairy. Against the Commanders, he had just the opposite to lean on, Dylan Radins. Now, Radins started at guard in this game, starting at guard for the first time in his NFL career, 
second NFL start. He started at left tackle in the San Francisco game last year. While we're still waiting on the advanced metrics and the, the game tape to come out and all of that good stuff to know for sure, line play, incredibly, incredibly difficult to scout just from game film. The eye test from the game film would tell you that he was no Nate Davis out there. Raiden's could be seen with the naked eye multiple times getting handled on his blocking assignments. And then on the other side of the line, things were hardly better. I'd argue they may have been worse. Actually, Aaron Brewer's hot and cold streak at left guard continued. He just cannot contend with big defensive tackles when they bull rush. He just doesn't have the size to do it. The leverage only goes so far when he is outsized by some of these guys bull rushing at him. He loses almost every single time. His smaller build just leaves him susceptible to manhandling. And he was on the receiving end more often than not at FedEx Field today. And then Dennis Daly, a left tackle. He likely takes the cake for worst performance. If I had to pinpoint a winner, he just got slaughtered on the edge all day long. And he was a big part of the reason that Montez Sweat was in the grill of Ryan Tannehill for most of the game. Now, things will get better when Nate Davis returns. They can't get worse when he gets back because he's a very good player. And I think, again, I'm playing doctor. I don't know. But just reading the tea leaves, I feel like him sitting this week was more precautionary than anything. Titans fans should certainly hope that that's the case. But as long as he's gone, this line is going to be a serious concern for the Titans. And I, I don't even know why I said as long as he's gone, because frankly, I th- I think this line is just going to be a chronic issue for them the rest of the season. I don't see that ever changing this year. Could be wrong. We've seen the Titans offensive line get dramatically better as the season's gone on in the mid to late stages of the season. Just they're gelling and the coaching up that the team does whatever it is they've gotten better before but something about this unit makes me think i just don't think there's a ceiling there like that now our last winner third and final winner from this game is tipped and batted passes now once upon a time jeffrey simmons was the uh the old sheriff of swat around these parts but in the past two games tier tart he's uh you know moseyed on up to his saloon bar and challenged him to a duel because tart has four passes defended in the last eight quarters it's good for a team best in the statistical category of passes defended not to mention the fact that he managed to intercept one of those and nearly came away with another one today at the very end of the game tart has led the way for this defensive front in the disrupted passes category and his teammates have followed suit because Jeffrey Simmons, of course, always been very good at this. And then Rashad Weaver, him and Simmons both had critical batted balls in Washington uh, in this game today as well. And then, you know, sacks. Here's the thing. They got they got home and sacked Carson Wentz a handful of times today. Sacks are the marquee statistic for pass rushers. I get it. And they're important. Yes. But if you can't get all the way home to the quarterback, rendering his pass useless and giving yourself the chance to maybe grab a cheeky turnover may be just as valuable. So the, these tipped and batted passes that the Titans are routinely getting a hand or a finger on is a very good thing. I think a sneaky good thing that's not being celebrated enough. The last loser of this game and the last thing we'll talk about before we get out of here is the secondary. Now, before we get to the secondary, I've got to sell broadwaysportsmedia.com. If you are not a member, an insider, at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Become a Broadway insider today. You get the full Mike Herndon show, access to that full show. It's fantastic. Again, I'm the executive producer of it. 
you'll love it. It's amazing. The free version is nice and great, and you should check that out if you don't if you don't have the pass. But check it out, and you'll be like, oh man, I got to get the rest of this show because you do. It's great. What we put behind the paywall is just as good, if not better, depending on the week. And then you get access to our articles early. You get access to certain premium articles that non-members don't get. You get access to private fantasy leagues. Eventually, we're going to be doing some meetup opportunities. It's going to be awesome, and you're going to have to be an insider to to join on a lot of this stuff. If you go to the website right now, broadwaysportsmedia.com, you can become an insider for just $0.99 for your first month when you use code INSIDER or get your first year 20% off or no, 40% off of the regular monthly price, just $49.99 for the whole year. You can pay once and be done and get our stuff all year long, of course, throughout the entire Titan season, the hockey season, which we're going to be covering, the draft, the MLS season, all of the Nashville sports all year long, one price. Go and become an insider today. Now, the last loser this week is the secondary. And, you know, it was there's I don't know how to frame it better than it was just a rough outing for the Titan secondary. They allowed 342 yards through the air to Carson Wentz and company. Our buddy Zach Lyons uh, with Broadway Sports Media and the uh, the Football and Other F-Words podcast tweeted at some point during the game that it's pretty sad that the Titans' best cornerbacks are Tier Tart and Jeffrey Simmons. <laughs> Early in the game, you could tell that Shane Bowen's plan for containing Washington's weapons was similar to the approach they took in the last three weeks, right? Against the Raiders, they shut down Devontae Adams against the and and Darren Waller against the Colts. They shut down Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. And then against the commanders, they seemed intent on shutting down Terry McLaurin. Now in the second half, McLaurin got his eventually he started to make an impact, but the plan from the jump to me seemed clear, make them use somebody else to beat you. Now the problem with this approach for the Tennessee secondary is that the opponent does use somebody else, they'll do it, and it's very effective so far. The Matt Collins of the world have become a trend now. Their lack of healthy cornerback talent outside of Christian Fulton, who, by the way, continues to stay healthy himself. He got banged up in this game and had to come out for a couple snaps, ended up finishing the game, but he's got to stay healthy for this team to succeed. It means, you know, this lack of talent means that Quarterbacks, frankly, have been just regularly, repeatedly, and successfully targeting the likes of Terrence Mitchell, Caleb Farley, and I think even Roger McCreary. This has resulted, like I said, the Matt Collins of the world in a weekly breakout from somebody on the opposing sideline that you may or may not have heard of. This week's contestant was wide receiver Diami Brown, who is currently Washington's four, yeah, fourth receiver down the depth chart. Brown managed two catches on four targets in this game for a massive 105 yards. Curtis Samuel, by the way, Washington's wide receiver three, he had eight targets for six catches and 62 yards as well. Washington was getting whatever they wanted through the air at times. And whenever the Titans pass rush wasn't impacting the play, things were uglier. Uh, Roger McCreary had a nice start to his career in training camp and in his first couple of games. Yes, but that's relative to what we expect from rookie corners in the grand scheme of things. He's been quietly struggling the past couple of weeks, and I don't think today's game was any exception. Caleb Farley. Woof. He had one really 
bad look in this game. He continues to kind of be a mess. Frankly, you can tell watching him play that his head is seriously limiting what his body is capable of. Like Farley is just far too gifted as both an athlete and specifically as a cornerback body type to be getting beaten the way that he is. On some plays, you can tell that he doesn't fully trust his surgically repaired knee, the ACL that he tore last year. We've talked about that a couple times this year. I get it. You can see it. And then on other plays, you can just tell that his mental processing on the play and what his responsibilities are, they end up resulting in just clunky physical actions. And it's too late. His feel for the game is just non-existent. He's clearly capable of far better, in my opinion, physically capable of it. I just I don't have the solution for getting him to play at that level. That's his coaches need to figure that out and they need to do it soon. Honestly, I don't know what else to say about Caleb Farley besides he's trending in the wrong direction and he'll become a bust before long if he doesn't start to show some improvement. Terrence Mitchell, the third guy that I mentioned. What to say? Terrence Mitchell is what he is, right? He's is he as bad as his play was in the Raiders game? No. But that's an incredibly low bar. Mitchell, he's just a fine average to below average depth cornerback that you rarely ever want to see have to see the field, right? That's what Terrence Mitchell is. So I think the bottom line for the secondary is this, and then we'll close. This group, it requires a healthy Christian Fulton, requires. It desperately needs Elijah Molden back. And then it just it could really use a healthy pairing of both Kevin Byard and Amani Hooker. I think without those key four guys, things just get uglier and they remain ugly until they get those guys back. The top end talent is going to have to carry the lack of depth for this Titans team in the secondary at the very least. And that's all I have for this week or this Monday. Rather, of course, we'll be back on Friday. Make sure to to be subscribed and check that out. Check out the Mike Herndon show on Thursday. Executive producer right here. YouTube show. It's great. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, for producer JT, I am Easton. This has been the Hot Read Podcast, and we will talk to you on Friday.